Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. This is Wade Hodges, not Luke Norrisworthy. I've been asked to switch places with Luke for a very special episode of the Newsworthy with Norrisworthy podcast. It's a great honor for me to be able to do this. Apparently, Luke calls me in to do this about once a year when he has a huge announcement to make. Last year, <laughs> last year, that's not at all what happened. That's not, I didn't ask you to do this. About this time last year, no, I no, no, no. was asked to interview Luke so that he could share developments in his life, which would be him moving to Austin to go to a new church. Which it, we're almost a no. year into that. That's been a great transition, great time for you so far, Luke. Correct. Uh, yes, okay, but th- that's not so, what happened. So today, you said you wanted to, to do this. Today, he has given me the microphone once again. And, you, and he has if you texted me saying you wanted to do this. To let me have the microphone. He said, I just want you to run the show. You do the open. You introduce it. And I'll just let you do it. And he lasted about 15 seconds. Why am I hosting <laughs> this show today? Because Luke has another major announcement to make. He's not, not switching churches, so Westover people, don't worry. He is switching careers. <laughs> Luke, tell us, tell us about the big transition. This is not at all what was discussed. You texted me and said, "Hey, I'm really interested in doing a podcast about what you've been doing in July." And I said, "I don't really know if it's a podcast." And you go, "I've got plenty of questions." And I said, yes. "All right, well then, yep, yep." You, you've from the very beginning of the podcast, you had the ability to flash the bat signal and come on to talk about anything you want. We we did a, a U two podcast yep. once because you flashed the bat signal. That's right. Obviously, the Austin one, and then you said, "I want to do one about what you've been doing in July." And so I said, fine. Yeah. Which, have your way. What you've been doing in July is preparing for a new career. True or false? No, I'm not okay. preparing for All right, a new let's tell career. everybody. The suspense is killing them. What have you been doing in July? Not, I don't... Oh, you say what you want to talk about. Okay. Luke is not only a preacher, not only a podcaster, not only an aspiring author, mm, he is also, ladies and gentlemen, a stand-up comedian. No. Okay. What really happened is, if anyone's listened to the podcast, they've heard me discuss how the only common vocation, profession, art form to preaching that we have in the modern world is stand-up comedy. I've always been interested in this. We did a podcast at the very genesis of this thing with uh, Yumi and Stormont talking about Seinfeld's uh, documentary called, I think just called Comedian. Yep, I remember. We've had... We've had two comedians, Pete Holmes and then Brent Sullivan have been on here. And uh, I've always had interest in it. And I thought, July, I'm taking the month off from preaching. It would be a good cross-training experience to try it out. And so I've done a handful of open mic nights at comedy clubs. And by handful, how many is that? I've done five so far. Holy cow. That's five times up on the stage as a stand-up comedian. Yes. Okay. That's Dude, exactly true. Walk us through. I'm sh- I'm sure you remember all five. Walk us through each experience. First one, just <laughs> what does that mean? You've you've done five open mic nights. Tell us about that, but also tell us about the different experiences. Okay. So um, I was interested in doing this, and 
I mentioned this uh, like a year ago when I was, uh, I interviewed Pete Holmes and he and Brent, Brent was the guy who opened for Pete Holmes. Uh, after the show, I was driving them actually to their hotel and somehow this got brought up and I said, yeah, I've thought about doing an open mic. And they said, yeah, you should do it. Um, you know, yeah, go for it. It, it should be, it should be fun. And so I decided I'm going to try this. So I, of course, go to Google, figure out kind of the open mic scene here in Austin and uh, basically just Google places, and there's certain ones that are kind of smaller and some that are like a bigger deal. Uh, some you can just sign up and just go up on their open mic night. Other nights, the, the bigger, the two big comedy clubs in Austin, you have to kind of email and sign up for it um, beforehand. And so I've done a couple of the three kind of small, like two small kind, time kind of things that were not really that substantial, and then... Um, the third one I went to was downtown Austin on 6th Street. Um, if you're not familiar with Austin, Texas, 6th Street is kind of like the the popular place to be on a weeknight or a weekend uh, night. And uh, it was kind of a big-time club and went down there, and it was a packed, packed room and uh, just straight-up bombed. Bombed. Crickets. Crickets. Nothing. Crickets. Nothing. The first two, though... They, the first two were like really. Uh, and obviously, they venue. were encouraging enough for you to want to do the third in a bigger venue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the first first one was a, like a real small turnout. This Thursday night at a uh, not very uh, attended event, and it, it it was just so small I couldn't really get a feel for it. But the people I talked to afterwards were, um, oh wow, this is your first time, man. You should definitely do it again. And so uh, that was fine. The second one I went on like at the very end of thirty comics had gone first before me and so I was like at the very end the room was pretty empty at that point so I didn't really value that too much but then the third one I was like the third person to go third like sixth person to go and uh yeah I was doing the material basically like most of the stuff I'd done at that point was somewhat recycled like jokes and stories that I would tell in sermons yeah and at that third time I realized Oh, this is not working at all. Like I have completely bombed. Okay, I I have talked to a lot of preachers about this, and I think every preacher who's got any kind of funny stuff in any of their sermons, I think we all have this thought. You take all the funny things I've ever said in a sermon, combine them, and I probably have a forty-five minute stand-up comedy routine just waiting to be organized. Yeah. Yep. And your experiences now would say that is true or false. False, false, 100% false. I Do you know Mitch Wilburn? Yeah, yeah, I know Mitch. Okay, so he's a preacher. He's got, uh, uh, he's been doing this for a long time. He's got like two stories that he uses like every every fall yeah. at like welcome weeks, and they're great stories. And I, I ran into him last week, and he said, oh, yeah, there's no way I'd do that. No way I'd do that at all. And I was like, well, you, like, my initial thought like a month ago would have been like, oh, we'll just tell those stories. They always kill in church. But after doing this, I'm reminded of something that was said when I was talking to either Brent or Pete, that there's a difference in comedy that works like middle America. Yeah. And then what works on the coasts. Yeah. And like doing something on 6th Street would be the equivalent of, of a Texas coast, so to speak. And then what you do on a Sunday morning at a church is like middle America. They're two different things. You, you're talking to two different Groups of people, the expectations are different. The uh, amount of time they give you to get to the punchline is different. It, it's, yeah. it just doesn't work. And, and don't you think also there there is an expectation for church people? 
they want the preacher to be funny. They know there'll be an opening story or something that, that's going to make them giggle. But they probably did not show up saying, it's your job to make me laugh. They know there's a yeah. bigger purpose. But but there's a kind of support like, oh, you're trying. That was a funny story. I'll laugh along with you. Where yeah. the stand-up comedy audience is like, this, we we are under no obligation to show you Christian mercy. No, not at all. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm sure you have. But there are certain people who have been at places a long enough period of time where there is a, a relationship between the speaker and the audience where the speaker kind of has a formulaic approach to comedy yeah. or their jokes. And so the, the congregation is already laughing before the punchline is even delivered because, oh, over 10 years they've learned this happens and this happens and then we all laugh. Right. Well, you have, yeah. you have no credibility. Like you're, you're getting up to a group of people that give you no like respect or attention. And like as a preacher, you don't experience that much where you have like no respect when you walk on the stage, uh, unless you're Jonathan Storman, of course. Uh, <laughs> but like it's just cold yeah so it's different in that sense it, also i think there's probably a difference in the level of sobriety in the two mm. audiences no maybe i mean maybe, if you're, maybe if, your church if, shows up wasted i don't know <laughs> no I, I yeah obviously alcohol definitely changes people's demeanor with humor from my brief experience but i didn't see uh especially the last couple times i've gone very early on and okay. people didn't really have time. Like, it's not Jesus' wedding in John 2 where they've been partying for a few days. This is So you're getting a mostly beginning. sober crowd. Yeah. So you, you go the third time, which is really the real comedy club. You yep. use what should be old faithful material. You would bust this out in any sermon you ever did with a new audience. Mm-hmm. And it tanks. Just tanks. So what do you do? And, what do you do to change it up for the fourth one? Well, I'm driving... I, I sit there and I, I don't want to leave right away because then I let people know, like, oh, you really <laughs> hated that. And so I want to sit there and kind of just sit through it and pretend like it's no big deal. And uh, so eventually I leave. And this was uh, like third. It was actually the Thursday night when the shootings happened in Dallas. Okay. If you remember when that was. And so I get off Sixth Street. I find my car, which I'd parked illegally, and I got a ticket, which was nice. And then I get in my truck, and I'm thinking, that was absolutely awful. I never <laughs> want to do this again. And my first, my, my thought was, I want to just preach again, because I feel so much better about my acumen as a preacher than I do as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. And so I'm driving home going, I'm never going to do that again. And then it's about a 30-minute drive back to my house. And by the time I'd gotten back home, I had kind of just like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to rewrite the set. And I'd basically come up with my new... Uh, uh, a second, like, act, so to speak, of mm-hmm. material that I was going to use. And how and long thought, are okay. these sets? So so we're clear here. Um, like four minutes, okay. something so like that. Relatively short. I'm sure it feels like an eternity on stage if nobody's laughing, but that's not a super long period of time. No, not at all. That's, I mean, that's your, <laughs> hey, welcome to the Westover. Please turn in your Bible. to. Yeah. You know, that that's yeah. four minutes for okay. us. Yeah. Okay, so you, you've got, you st- already after the third one, you're thinking, okay, I've got to rewrite this and come at this from a different perspective or angle. Yeah, I, I kind of tweaked it a little bit at first, but it was still the same material. And then I thought, I, I said to myself, no, you got to start all over, come up with brand new stuff. And, and, and I realized as I'm, I'm driving home, I'm thinking of the people who killed, like who did really, really well. And I'm thinking of um, 
you know, there's, uh, you know, one guy who went in front of me who was uh, an overweight gentleman, and he just talked about how fat he was. And everyone laughed about that. And then there's a guy that I've seen in a couple different places, a very nice gentleman, who um, he's, he identifies somewhere on the autistic spectrum, and he, he made reference to that. And I saw, like, there's this reoccurring theme of people dealing, like, with their own, uh, I don't want to say issues, but parts of their own humanity. And I didn't feel like I was really doing that at first. I was doing more of, hey, these are funny jokes and stories that I can tell. Yeah. Um, but it's not really, I'm not being vulnerable in what I'm doing. Yeah. So how did the material change? What did you do the fourth time? How did that go? Well, uh, the third one was the worst, and then the fourth and the fifth I, I felt really good about. Like it was, oh, okay, I want to do this again. And I felt like I started to find my voice because I was being I, – I, I wasn't just trying to say funny things, but I was trying to be more honest about myself. And I did a joke about uh, – if you listen to the podcast, you, you probably heard me say this once or twice, but uh, my mom has a chronic illness. She's been sick for the majority of my lifetime. And I made a reference to that, and that went really well. I talked about being a preacher, which I didn't want to do. Um, and Hold on. Hold on. Let's go back to your mother. Does your mo- mother know you used her <laughs> as a source of humor? I didn't make – like I didn't say, hey, my mom's sick. That's hilarious. No, I, 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 I set it up differently than that. Um, oh, oh, good, because that last bit wasn't that funny, I don't think. No. So. <laughs> no. The, no, I'm not going to say it. Uh, I'm not but it, it was a joke about Lyme disease. My mom has Lyme disease. Um, and anyway, I, I can't do it here. But it's getting funnier the, by the minute. Just keep on talking. <laughs> no, but whatever. It, it, it killed when I did it. And yeah. I realized, okay, I talked about that. And so Brent Sullivan was the comedian who opened for Pete that I got to know. And he's been on the podcast since then. And I've been emailing with him during the process. And I made some comments to him about how he was like being really nice to me. Hey, if you bomb at first, that's how all of us feel. Don't worry about it. And I said, Hey, because you're being so nice to me, uh, I'll put a good word into heaven to see if we can get you in. Um, and he made some comment. Hey, hey, that should be your opening joke. And then I realized, oh, okay, yeah, people like the the mm. preacher Luke thing yeah. is is different. And so I I went with that actually the last time I went where I just said, Hey, I'm a preacher. And then. Uh, I talked about my relationship with Brent, who is an agnostic gay comedian, and it did super well. And like, I get off the stage, and the host, who's the person who comes between each each act, um, she kind of riffed on, "Oh, preacher, Pastor Luke, thank you for coming out." Blah blah blah. And the guy after me kind of talked about it, uh, Pastor Luke being up. Here. And so it, there was something of a connection that that was different from uh, obviously anyone else who was there. And when you told the audience that you were a preacher, a pastor, was your an immediate response to that? Is it a setup or they, they lean in? How do, how do you read the room when that happens? So the first, so the line was, um, so as you guys might notice, I'm not a professional comedian. Uh, I'm my actual full-time job is I'm a senior pastor of a church down here in Austin. And, uh, you might be wondering why I'm here. And the reason is to make everyone feel really uncomfortable. And I got a, I got a laugh off that. And then I kind of built off, um, some stuff, but that was like the beginning of the bit on being a preacher, and yeah, it went really, really well. Is is it a? I know, like when you're telling a funny story in a sermon, you can kind of read the audience, and if they like the opening line and they laugh, you're like, oh, this story's going to kill. They're going to love this. Is it the same kind of build in 
in the comedy club or can it go, oh, they thought that was hilarious and crickets on the next one. Oh, and then they laugh again and crickets. Or do you, do you kind of feel like, okay, I got you in the first 30 seconds. I'm going to keep you through this whole thing. Well, there was like four, four or five different like punchlines in that bit. And I feel like each of them landed and I felt like there was, it was building and it kept on getting better and better. So yeah, I, as soon as I said that, I thought, okay, this is some material that you need to stay in. Uh, mm-hmm. Next time you go up, maybe even stay here longer, jump right into it from the beginning. Because yeah, I, when I did that, I could tell it was really good. I did one about a uh, a TV show on HBO, and I was like, oh, this is not going good. And this was like one of my first early bits that I was doing, and I was like, this isn't going well, uh, and I need to get out of here faster, and I didn't know how to. But this, that was definitely not the uh, the preacher stuff. When you're in the third one and you're bombing and you know it's going terribly, what's that like? Are you are you thinking, can I just quit? Do I walk off? Do I let them see me cry? What, what's going through <laughs> your head when you know, okay, this is not going to work tonight? Well, um, I don't know about you, but I haven't felt like extremely nervous like to speak in front of any group for a very long time. Like yeah. when both of you and I had um, uh, opportunities to speak at Pepperdine in the uh, the keynote sessions, yep. and like I had a bit of, like I, I felt, I wouldn't say nervous, but I had like a lot of energy going into that. Like I knew right. this was, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, don't screw this up. Yeah. And when, honestly, when I started doing the Devil Palooza, like doing a live podcast, something I've never done before, I kind of felt a little bit of something, but I, I was really anxious to do this, like a, a lot of nerves. <laughs> and so going into that with nerves does not, I don't think it helps me at all. Um, and so once I got up there and I started to bomb, like the, the butterflies just started swirling around and they were, <laughs> they were wrecking shop with me. Yeah. And, but, but did you just, you just go through the whole bit that you had planned anyway? I'm going to deliver this material no matter what. You try to ad lib some stuff or, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, I like I've told, especially like when I used to preach at, at Venture, the church I was a part of in Denton, uh, it was a smaller room. And so it, in a lot of ways, it replicated what a comedy club would be like in terms of the size. And one of the basics of uh, group dynamics when you're speaking is if you're in front of a larger audience and you get a 30% laugh, it fills the room if the room is hundreds of people. Uh, yeah. If you're talking of dozens of people and you get a 30% response, that do, that sounds terrible. It sounds really uncomfortable. And so as someone who's a, accustomed to speaking to a smaller audience, uh, it wasn't like the first time that a joke of mine didn't land. Or, you <laughs> you're know? used to people not laughing at your stuff is what you're saying. I, like I've, I've had plenty of those, right. uh, especially early days at Venture when I didn't know how to speak to a room that size. Uh, yeah. And so, it, like, I just, I just powered through it. I didn't, I didn't let it, uh, like, affect the stuff I would say. I mean, I would make some joke about, uh, oh, obviously that didn't work. And I, so I make a joke about the lack of response, but I would keep on powering through, even though, like, I was trying to hold in, like, that I felt like really nervous and I felt like I was not being as successful as I wanted to. Yeah. It, it is interesting. I, I don't feel a lot of nerves when I get up to speak in a church setting, even if it's a guest speaking thing somewhere else, but I do a few events outside of the church world each year for businesses, corporate kind of things. And that is amazing how it's the same skill set. I'm going to stand up and deliver 
and yet being in a completely different environment with people that you don't necessarily know if they're on your side from the very beginning, mm-hmm. that is the most nerve-wracking thing for, for me as a communicator. And I love it. I, I think it's good that every now and then communicators need to be in a situation where they are absolutely freaked out and terrified to go on stage. To me, that feels like life. And, yeah, and I want to test myself because if, if it becomes boring and ho-hum, yeah, another sermon, another audience, whatever. But to be in that environment where it's like, okay, I am alive right now and this could go really well or it could go terribly and I don't have a clue how it's going to go. Yeah. That, honestly, one of the things that's helped my preaching the most is doing the podcast. And my ability to not really use notes when I preach I think comes from the level of comfort I've gotten from doing the podcast and being able to say, hey, I'm talking to someone. I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to trust that we can keep this conversation going somehow. I I think that empowered me to feel like, hey, you don't need to use notes. And so like that crossover training um, was part of the reason why I want to do this is that you, it it is like you're in front of a room, you're talking, you've got a microphone, they're listening theoretically, but it's a different medium. And I think that's like it, it's coming at the same task of talking from a different angle, mm-hmm. and I think it helps you get get better at it. Did you take anybody with you to these events? Are there any witnesses that can verify anything you have said today about how things went? No, not no. I didn't bring any at all. <laughs> so you you walk in to these clubs by yourself. You don't have a buddy, a partner, somebody who can be no. your support mechanism Wait. by yourself. No, that's why I texted. Uh, I texted you and a couple other guys. Yeah. Uh, the first one, that was the extent of my support group. I'd just walk in by myself. Did you have to build up to this? Was it, I'm going to look online, find a few clubs. Okay, now I know where they are. Next week, I'll get the phone number. Next week, I might call or I might send an email. Or were you able to march right down the field and go, this is what I'm going to do. This is when I'm going to do it. Uh, it was more like the rip the Band-Aid right off kind of thing. Like, I, I knew July I wanted to try this, but, <clears throat> yeah, it was I, I looked it up the week of and found something and jumped right in. I think that, that's, that would be a major difference between the two of us. It would take me six months to do all my <laughs> – all the, the research before I'd be, okay, I think I'm finally ready to do this. I would, I would look at the website 55 times before <laughs> I would ever take the next step. <laughs> yeah. And I would just be looking for reasons to talk myself out of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think part of, part of the, the, the skill I – lifelong skill I developed from pole vaulting – uh, which is uh, in track and field, uh, an event that I did for, for a handful of years, is that like if I would stand on the runway and think about it too long, like, hey, you're going to jump upside down in the air on a little piece of fiberglass, and you've got a mat, but there's a lot of concrete around the mat, and you're going to hopefully land. Like The more you think about it, the worse it gets for, for you as a pole vaulter. And so yeah. I, I, I take that same approach uh, yeah. with this kind of thing. Well, a couple more questions I have. Now that you've done this, how does it cross over back into your preaching? Will your hmm. preaching be different? First off, you've had a month off of preaching for July. I would like to know who your agent is. That's a pretty sweet deal, <laughs> whoever <laughs> negotiated that for you. Yeah. But now now when you go back in August and you're going to preach to your church, 
how's your stand-up comedy experience or your second career, I guess we'll call it from now on. <laughs> well, how's that going to impact your preaching? Actually, I'm, I'm, I have had four Sundays off, and this next Sunday, the last Sunday in July, I'll be at your church in Dallas. So I'm going to try some of my material out there to see if it kind of crosses over. Do you think that'll go well? I think you should definitely do it. But <laughs> make sure you, you get the honorarium check before you First. start. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. No. I don't think it's. This, I don't think you can use the same material both places. Uh, here's here. I think is the main difference. I've heard Stephen Colbert say that uh, he was advised that comedians have to see the world differently, and so you both look at the same thing, but a comedian is going to go a completely different direction. Whereas a preacher, I think, and and tell me if, if you've experienced this as well, but the sermons that I feel like really connect with a lot of people are often when the speaker is able to say and formulate the words that capture someone's experience that they up until then have not been able to express. Totally. Yep. Yep. And so good preaching says what you feel. Uh, Good comedy takes what you see and spins it a completely different direction. I'm going to... I'm going to love, I guess, probably from now on, you're going to set these things up like this, aren't you? You know, as a preacher, I do this. <laughs> as a comedian, I feel like this. And as a podcaster, I've learned this. <laughs> and as someone But who, it all came no from one pole likes. vaulting. I learned no. it all from pole vaulting. No, no. Well, here's the thing that I think they both have in common. Like, good, good comedy, and this is like all art, which is why comedy, preaching, what, writing, all have in common. Are you laughing at me right now? Not a, not really. No, yes, I'm not. You were okay. Whatever. Is that it? All has to be authentic and honest. I've heard Judd Apatow talk about Judd Apatow's. What are you laughing about, man? Just I just the, I love that that um, you're part of the club now, and so you're just riffing on these different comedians and all the things they say, and I just keep going. It's really great. I I love it. You know what? It's something tell, only. What, tell us what Judd was telling you the other day. Well, Judd was telling Pete, and Pete told Brent, and Brent told me um, <laughs> what happened. Uh, Judd Apatow said that when he was working uh, on his like most recent movie uh, with a comedian named Amy Schumer, he talked about how he kept on asking her, like, like what are your real struggles? What What is really going on in your dating relationship? And he, what he was trying to find was like the honesty in her that she'd be willing to, to bring it out. And I think... Like that's what I think ultimately connects with people is when you're willing to be authentic, and whether it's you know you're writing a a fictional novel about a a church and a struggle within a church, um, or you're you're writing a stand-up act or you're writing a sermon, it has to have authentic humanity in into it because that's ultimately what we all have in common is that we're all humans, and so what connects us to one another is our humanity, and so I could sit on the outside of my humanity and just like tell jokes of things that. Um, don't really cost me anything. There's no flesh in the game. And, you know, maybe if I could be a Jerry Seinfeld and do observational comedy and be really, really good, well, maybe I can make that work, but most most people um, have to put more skin in the game with that. And so I, I think that's what, you know, you learn about preachers who are willing to be honest and confessional in their preaching is that it connects to them in the same way, you know, honest comedians do. You mentioned earlier that in the comedy club, you don't get a lot of time to get where you're going. You got to win them over quickly. Yeah, yeah. And there's more build time in sermons, but do you think preachers could learn from that kind of quick build as well? That yeah. I, how, how quickly can I get to where I want to go in the sermon without having to do the first four or five minutes of 
turn in your Bibles. And if you'll remember last week, we talked about it's so good when we can do this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I think that's the, the discipline that you get from Twitter is that you've got to write something 140 characters that connects. And the more fluff, the more stuff that, that isn't essential that you cut out, it makes it, it, it better. And so, yeah, I think it definitely uh, is a nice skill to have because there's two different like dispositions of writing. Like one where you're like, I've got to write enough to fill up this time slot. And the other is how can I condense this down to make it as brief and short as possible with communicating as much as possible. And those are completely different postures of, of writing. And so, yeah, simplifying always, always makes it better. So where does this go from here? What's next in your stand-up comedy career? Uh, well, I want to go back to the place that I bombed um, <laughs> and, and, and try again at that. I, what I'll do, I'll do this for, we're going to post this, I think, the last week in July. And so I'll do, I, I might try to do this one, once or twice more again this month. And then uh, once July's over, I don't know what's going to happen after that. But I, I don't know. Is it... Have you been bitten by the bug? Is this something you think you're going to want to keep doing? Okay, well, you say bitten by the bug, and you've told me a story about a friend who, like, lost his career because of that, right? Yeah, I, I think it, in broad strokes, yes. Had, had a fine professional career, tried stand-up comedy, fell in love with it, altered his career, altered the trajectory of his life. We're not going to see him on an HBO special anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he really altered his life in order to be a stand-up comedian. And he may be the happiest guy in the world, but looking at it as an outsider, you think, wow, that that must have really felt good. Whatever that was that got you must have felt really good because you completely changed your life in order to do this. Yeah, that's that's not me at all. It, I, I think it's something that was... Uh, fun thing to do. Uh, it was a fun experience. I feel like I learned something from it. Um, and I don't know, I, I haven't thought of a long-term plan, but you know, as, after this week, and if I go back to doing it two more times and it goes well, then maybe I want to keep on doing it. Um, if it fits into my schedule and when I'm going back to preaching every Sunday, it's going to be different. I also think it's good for preachers to have a plan B in their back pocket because things Things can go sideways with churches, and you find yourself not in a great environment, great situation. And so how cool is it now for you to be able to sit in a board meeting? Maybe somebody is, somebody so is putting the pressure on you, and, and they want you to do something you don't want to do. Maybe they're like, hey, Luke, it's really important that you start wearing socks when you preach, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and you're able just to say, hey, Take it or leave it. This is who I am. And if you don't want me here, I'll go do stand-up comedy. No, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Wade. That is the absolute dumbest thing that's ever been said on the podcast. One of the things that the comedian Gary Shanling, who recently passed, <laughs> talked about is that you have to have love for your audience. And even if you're a comedian and the art that you're giving people is just the ability to laugh and to see the world differently – you have to have a genuine connection with your audience. And so I have love for every audience I'm in front of, whether it's my podcast listeners, whether it's the people from the church I'm a part of, or the people from stand-up comedy clubs. It's all about love. It's not about power. It's not about manipulation. What, what would be awesome, though, is if you could keep messing around with this and you become a fixture in the comedy clubs in Austin, you're still a pastor, you're known as Pastor Luke. Mm-hmm. 
and this could be be a way for you to become a personality in your city to bridge. How cool would that be? Bridging yeah, no. church and, and comedy yeah. clubs without without needing to do it in the, the typically Christian cheesy way. Yeah, no. It, real talk. That's that's really what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I I had come home from one like the first one I went to. Uh, afterwards, the guy who's running the thing is talking to me and says, "Oh, hey, that was good. Blah blah blah. What do you what do you do for a living?" And I said, "Well, I'm a pastor." And he goes, "Oh, uh, were you offended by the jokes I told?" That's the very first thing he said after I said, "I'm a pastor." Um, and I mean, some of his stuff was pretty blue, so I get why he's yeah. saying that. But this is a great opportunity um, for me, in a very authentic, real way, to get to know people who are not uh, a part of our church and probably wouldn't come through the doors of our church. You know, our, our church has this motto of more than us, more than here. And I, I can't think of a better way for me as a pastor to step outside of kind of the bubble and to, to really be an authentic Austinite who's getting to know my neighbors. So, yeah, for sure. You, mean, you mentioned material because you will be known as Pastor Luke. Is that going to shape some of the things you can and can't say? That Obviously, you're not going to do deep, deep blue material, but is there any concern about, ah, can I, this is hilarious. I know it's hilarious, but I'm not sure I can tell this because I'm a pastor. I can't do this. Are you, have you felt that tension already or could you see it being a tension in the future? Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) uh, (laughs) there's plenty of people who are doing material. That's a little bit rough. Uh, they don't need another one doing that. So I, I wouldn't tell anything, um, in a stand up place that I wouldn't do in a, elders meeting so, so you're gonna uh, be a you're well so pg-13 then is what you're saying <laughs> no no i'm not you're gonna be no. a clean comedian and if anybody who's planning a youth rally or a, a get together needs <laughs> no no needs I'm a, not needs no. a clean comedian then no. you're saying I'm, you're able to do that no i mean well obviously if the check's big enough i will um but under normal uh Fiscal responsible uh, offers. No, I will not do that. I, no, this is a fun thing for me to do as a fun project uh, to do at local places, and that's enough for me. But yeah, definitely no, no, no blue material. And by blue, if you don't know the comedy world, that means using foul language. That's what they call blue. Will you talk about this experience in any of your sermons at Westover I in August this- when you come back? Uh, not August. The stuff I'm doing for the fall probably doesn't have a whole lot of connection to this. But I, the, the story about the the guy who was running the first open mic night um, and his first response to finding out that I was a pastor was to ask, did I offend you? Like th- that says a lot right. about someone who's not a Christian, not a church person, right. not a spiritual person. And his expectation of religious people is being offended by w- who they are. I feel like that's worth discussing. I don't know if I have to tell the full story on a Sunday morning about doing this, but yeah, that's a good one. Well, thanks for letting me take over the mic and thanks for jumping out there. And probably I'm going to say that I fulfilling the fantasy of 99% of the preachers I have ever been around. 99% of us though would never have the guts to do it. Although we think we have plenty of material. You went out and did it. You're like the scout. You 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 went over the ridge, and now you've come back to tell us what's there. Yeah, just call me Joshua and Caleb. That's that's we, who I am. We appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. No, it was. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be the one who's dumb enough to do something like that. To not sit and think about the implications of the choices I'm well, making. Well, 
I, I would say somebody had to be the first to figure out that rattlesnakes are poisonous. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're willing to do that for us. <laughs> Thanks, Wade. And I'm glad <laughs> that you texted me and said, hey, I want to interview you about the stand-up you're doing. So thank well, you for initiating this conversation. In my experience, you've never been shy to talk about yourself. So I <laughs> thought you would say yes. All right, Wade. Well, we've got to have you back on again soon to talk about something else. Sounds good. All right, Dave. Thanks, bro. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>